Listener Production. You are listening to episode 200 of the Howie Games Part B, featuring Matilda, Steph, Catley. Strap yourself in for that penalty shootout. Okay, Steph, we now get to the 2023 World Cup in Australia. Before we get into this conversation, I was thinking about this. Can you win without winning? (laughs) Do you know what I mean by that? Like what you did took this country by storm, yet you didn't walk away with the World Cup. Now that is an incredibly lofty dream for an Australian football team to lift the World Cup, but I have no doubt that that's what you were there for. So you didn't do that, but you won on so many other levels is the the question I'm trying to ask you. Yeah, it's interesting. We, I think as athletes and as professionals, as hungry competitors, we finished the tournament and we were devastated. We were, Mm. you know, spent, exhausted, just shattered in every way possible. Um, And we did believe, when we got to that point, we absolutely did believe we could go all the way. Um, So, yeah, initially we were just completely devastated. But then I think when you stepped away from that and you had a look at the whole picture, you know, we, as soon as I came out of camp, I had so many people coming up to me in the streets and just saying, you know, they'd tell me a story about the impact that our team had on their life, had on their daughter, had on their mum, their uncle, whoever it was. They, everyone had an inspirational story and, you know, some people, like I had a lady come up to me and she was just crying because it it had impacted her so much. So, um, yeah, I think once we stood back and looked at it as a whole, it was definitely seen as a positive and in saying that performance wise we had gone into the tournament saying that we wanted to leave a legacy and for us that meant winning the tournament but it also meant everything else that we achieved along the way and that was something that we identified as something we wanted to do pre-tournament with the team that we had and I can say yeah I, I think we can easily say that we achieved that we left a legacy of what this team is about and I think the country completely bought into that and saw who we were as people, saw who we were as a team and fell in love with that and, you know, were with us all the way. Okay. I I was meant to play cricket on Saturday but it got rained out, which caused great consternation for me and my son. Um, So I spent two hours on Saturday going through the highlights of the games. So I have notes. And I have questions, Steph Okay. Catherine, okay? Let's crack it. So 20th of July, in front of 75,784 people at Stadium Australia, watched by 2.8 million Australians. The roar around Stadium Australia. The moment these two footballing nations have been waiting for for months, for years. And without doubt, we'll be seeing a little bit of greatness this evening. Australia 1, Ireland 0. Goal scored in the 52nd minute after Rasso is brought down. Catley steps up. <laughs> oh, there's been contact in the area. Penalty. Penalty, says the referee. Sends the majority of the 80,000 plus inside Stadium Australia into rapture. So, what are you trying to think about or not think about in a World Cup match when you have to take a penalty? <sighs> um, it's a lot, I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, leading into the World Cup, Tony had us practicing penalties, every single one of us, after every single training session. So we had um, our analysis staff had these intricate um, sort of data things where it said exactly what spot you hit, how many were saved, how many missed, all this data on all of us as penalty takers. And um, most of the build-up to the World Cup, I... You know, I, I was hitting a really good penalty. I really felt good about it. 
Um, you know, I had a, a spot that I could hit pretty much perfectly if I put my if I put my mind to it. I did my routine. Top left, yeah, which is where you went against <laughs> Ireland. I told you, I watched this in detail. So you went top left. I went bang. top left. Yeah. Um, so I did feel really confident about my penalty, but I had, you know, we've got Sam in the team. We've got Emily Van Egmond loves a penalty, um, but mostly Sam. She is our penalty taker. So my penalty was practiced and ready and primed for a shootout. So I one penalty, like, that's what I'm ready to do. I'm confident that's I'm good. Um, I had other penalties. I practiced all sorts of things, but I was really confident in this particular penalty. And so when that moment, obviously before the game, we knew about Sam. And the big news, no Sam Kerr, of course, the all-time leading goal scorer, having played every minute of the last two World Cups for the Matildas. It's Mary Fowler who plays alongside Caitlin Ford in attack. And um, Tony had spoken to me and said that if there was a penalty, he would want me to take it. Oh, so they tell you beforehand? Well, yeah. So that conversation had kind of actually happened a couple of, or maybe a week or so before the tournament. So he was saying that if Sam doesn't want to take one for whatever reason, you step up. Um, Or if she's not on the field for whatever reason, you're taking penalties. So then, obviously, she gets injured. I'm thinking about the captaincy. I'm thinking about, God, we've done all our prep without, and now Sam's not here. <laughs> I hadn't even thought about the penalty. And then we were on our flight there, I think, on the day before, and I sit next to Sam, and she just looked at me and she goes, you know you're on pens, right? And I was like, oh, my God. No, I hadn't actually <laughs> thought about it, but thanks. I'm not going to sleep. <laughs> um so, yeah, then the, um, the night before she came into my room, she got the scan a little bit later that day um, and came into my room and basically was like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be playing. And that's when it kind of started to sink in a lot more. Um, so, yeah, I'd thought about it a lot and I had a, a deep feeling in my gut that we were going to get one. Like I just had a feeling I was going to take a penalty that day. And, yeah, when, when it went... When we won the penalty, I was sort of like, yes, like, penalty. And then I was like, oh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> Take a second. Um, yeah, and then Caitlin grabbed the ball, I remember, which was good because I wanted a little bit of a moment to, you know, gather myself and, and think. But if I'm completely honest, I I felt like I was going to score. I felt I didn't feel like I was going to miss for any moment when I, you know, in the lead up to that, I was a little bit of nerves at the start and then I just went into sort of a set piece mode, which I get before I take a corner or I take a free kick, where I just go into my routine, take a breath, take the steps that I've always taken and then I just pick my spot and, um, yeah, that's what I did. (laughs) And it goes in. So you beat Ireland 1-0, thanks to the penalty taken. As you say, you're, you're captain at this stage, so I presume you had to be involved in press conferences, etc. with Tony. How, how aware were you as the tournament progressed, the noise around will Sam or won't Sam play? Like as a member of the team, were you, were you reading the paper or you're not reading the paper? Because it was, it was, it was like is... Nick Revolt going to play in grand final week times five because it wasn't just a Victorian. It was such a big story. Is Kerr playing or not? Were you aware of the size of what was happening as it progressed? Yeah, I think we definitely were because we had um, media training most days. We had press conferences throughout the days leading into a game and then you'd have the, the major press conference, which was the day before the game. And every single question was related to, is Sam going to be okay in some way? Is Sam going to play, I think, social media without even looking for things? It was everywhere. Um, But internally, we obviously knew exactly what was going on with Sam um, throughout and we just focused on day by day doing what we could do in terms of preparing for the games, keeping recovered, keeping fit, keeping healthy and... um, yeah, just honing in on the, the circle without the noise, um, which is harder than you'd probably expect. But uh, I think we all got really good at it by the time, you know, we got into the tournament. But there there certainly was a lot of noise. Well, there, there, there became a story at one stage, Steph, which as someone that's worked on being privileged, I, I just couldn't get my head around about 
that Tony Gustafsson should have got up and told the country that Sam Kerr wasn't playing. It's like, are you really going to tell your opponents on the eve of a World Cup final match? Actually, she's not. Anyway, you don't need to comment on that. I found that an extraordinary story. I mean, yeah, I can comment on that because that was actually something that was, yeah, very, very frustrating um, because it it was obvious sport knowledge like no coach yes. is going to come out in any no. sport at any level and say hey this is exactly what's happening with my star striker <laughs> like here are the details here they wanted the scan results like it yeah it just got it did get a little bit out of hand but um yeah luckily we were yeah. all good inside the camp <laughs> That was um, a day I hung my head as someone that works in sports media. Right, 27th of July, Matildas versus the Nigeria Super Falcons at Lang Park in front of 49,156. Now, the viewing audience here has gone up to 4.7 million. Van Egmond scores 45th plus time. And comes the chance and there's the goal. Emily Van Egmond. Canu scores six in time, then a Harley and a Sharla before Kennedy puts some late joy. But we go down 2-3. Oh, in a mess, a swallow! Scores brilliantly! The huge upset is on here! In what was a pretty big upset. Like, it was an extraordinary performance by Nigeria. You walk off Lang Park in the group. What does Tony say to the group? What do you as a leader say to the group after, I, I don't know, it's a World Cup, so there can't really be a shock loss because everyone's bloody good. But, right. yeah, it, it was a shock loss for Australian supporters. But their hope is extinguished. Wonderful result for Randy Waldrum and Nigeria in a great position now to go through to the round of 16. The co-hosts are beaten. The Matildas will not waltz into the round of 16 tonight. It's all on their final match against Canada. Yeah, um, I remember the feeling and to be honest, it was a a really important moment for us in the tournament because Mm. I think after, you know, the first game, we were all like, okay, we're we're getting started, we're all good. It was like a a sigh and then this game was almost like the shake, like it's not, nothing is given to you, nothing is going to come easy um, you have to be at your best every single moment, every game. And I remember it was a very line in the sand moment. We had like small conversations, you know, between like Sam and I, leadership group conversations. And the majority of it was just about not letting this moment slip and knowing the importance around the tournament, what it means for us, what it means for the country. And we knew we weren't far off. It was just small details, fine moments in that game that we let slip and that we needed to be better. And there was, I think we scored and then they scored right before halftime and we were really upset with yeah. that because there was a bit of miscommunication from um, Tony to the players and then some of the players on the field in terms of what we were doing to get through to halftime because that's a really key moment. Okay. And we we felt like we failed at that and we were frustrated and we had to talk through that and work through that and then I think once we did that put it to the side it was like a fire that I haven't felt in our team ever I've been in the team a long time and going into that Canada game the motivation the talk the will to win the want to win and the like I said the fire it was like nothing I've ever felt in a team before and I just felt so strongly that we were going to go and put in the performance that we did and we we happened to, but it was the lead-up and it was the pain of feeling like we were letting a moment slip that we absolutely shouldn't have and the turnaround was was really, really massive. Um, yeah, something we're, we're very proud of as a team. I, I want to tell you how much... Um talking about this through you in detail, how much of a privilege this is for me, Steph. I, I really appreciate your time and to be able to go through with someone that was captaining at this stage, it's it's a tremendous thrill for me. So I appreciate it. It's very, and the audience, they're going to love this. It's it's so cool. We get to the 31st of July, you lose to Canada, you're out. 27,706 at Amy in Melbourne, 3.2 million people watch. Rasso in the 9th and the 39th. And it pops here for Hayley Rasso. 
Australian corner. Cooney cross to take. Difficult for the goalkeeper. There's an almighty scramble. And Hayley Razzo has forced the ball over the line. Mary Fowler bursts onto the consciousness of many people in the 58th minute. Turns it in towards Fowler. It's cracked over the line. And then Catley again. 90 plus four penalty. Same left-hand corner. Same area. Same result. Steph Catley. No problems. The cherry on top for the Matildas. Melbourne girl in a in a knockout game, captaining, scoring, Australia progresses. That's a long way from Bentley playing with the boys in under sixes. Yeah, that game was probably one of my favourite moments in a mm. Matildas shirt as a collective. I think I've never felt in so in tune with my teammates. Um, and so directed to the same goal and just there was a a connection with all of us that night that it was just so special and so strong and the way that we played, the aggression we showed. um, I remember at times they had heaps of the ball in the first half, but we just sat in, defended, waited for our moments, picked our moments, and then the quality and the class that was there on the transition and in front of goal was just, it was really special to watch and... Um, yeah, for me, being in Melbourne, captaining the team there, Amy Park, full house, um, to get through the group stage of a home World Cup, it was really, really ideal. And then scoring as well was obviously. So, so what's that moment like for like there's there's a, a lot of footballers that will play in a lot of World Cups that won't play a World Cup in their home city and score and qualify. Like it's 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 that's rare territory now. Absolutely, yeah, and I think I think it was that was a lot more enjoyable than the 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 island goal was was like a, the weight of the world felt like it was on my shoulders because that moment had taken four years to get there. Yes, and I could like I knew the feelings of all of the girls were exactly how I felt. We just wanted to win that game, get off to a good start, and get into the tournament. So that felt like a lot of heavy pressure, whereas this one in Melbourne we were already winning we felt in control of the game we were playing better than in that second half and we got a penalty and at that moment was just sort of fun because again I felt like I was going to score I this was my second penalty so I knew the keeper would know that I liked going that way but there would be some doubt but then again I just picked my spot hit it as well as I could and then got to sort of like let loose, celebrate with the whole team and just enjoy that moment. And it really was special. I think after we got through with the celebrations in the huddle, I ran back by myself and just kind of looked around to Amy Park and pumped my chest and was like just taking it all in. And it was, yeah, a very special moment for me. And it's funny, I, I haven't really spoken about it in this depth and sort of like gone back there and felt the emotions of that and it's actually like really cool to recall and special to remember because it was yeah it was a very special moment for me for sure I'm glad you can can reflect on it. I, d- I actually didn't think you would have had the chance because your professional life moves on very quickly. And you don't normally reflect till you're done. Right, we get the quarterfinal shortly but firstly Stadium Australia round of 16 this is a big game versus Denmark who'd lost to England but beat China and Haiti higher ranking in the world rankings Denmark uh, 3.8 million people watch. Ford in the 29th minute. Lovely touch. Fowler here can get Australia moving. And that is exactly the right goal. Caitlin Ford scores for Australia. That ball from Mary Fowler, of every highlight I look back at, that was the one that, like, even Sam's goal later on, that, that one made me gasp and think, my God. God, they're good athletes. This team, like that, that like you can tell me from a technical perspective, but for Mary to hit that and then Caitlin Ford to put that in the back of the net, that's like it was like video game stuff. Yeah, to yeah. me as a as a punter. Oh, a hundred percent. It's definitely not to be underestimated how hard that kind of pass is. But I think when you play with Mary a lot, you know what she's capable of, and that's definitely a pass that she's hit more than once and I think it's just her vision her technique the power the weight of the pass like there's so much that goes into that um and she just 
executed it perfectly and yes caitlin is that's her bread and butter she wants to be running onto passes like that and she yeah i mean i've seen her do that a million times and had a front row seat so um it very much was a goal that was nothing new to me in that sense but for the world to see it on that stage and to appreciate uh like you said the quality of the athletes that were out there on show um yeah that's a good one that is a good goal What's with the gloves, Mary Fowler? Oh, I, I, beforehand, you watch her play in Europe and you see the European footballers wear them and you think, oh, it's because it's so cold. But then, it, it, like, what's with the gloves? I don't know. It's, I've heard different – I feel like I've heard different answers from her. I, it's definitely a cold thing. Her hands get cold. and Okay. Yeah, she wears them over in the UK and I don't know. I assume she probably likes the look of it as well, the, the feel of it and – keeps her hands warm. So I don't know. It's very iconic now, though, isn't it? It is. At my word, it's iconic. So before we get to, to France, and we could spend three hours on what happens at the penalty shootout, h- how are you keeping – like the country had lost its mind by this stage, Steph. H- how is the group – and are you understanding what's happening around you? Like, I don't know how much interaction you have with the public during a World Cup, you can tell me, but this is developing into an enormous sports story at this stage. Yeah, I think we had an idea, um, especially after that game, I think we saw everything. We saw the crowds gathering at stadiums. We saw the AFL being put on pause, the players on the field looking up and watching it on the big screens. Like It did feel like Australia stopped to watch us that night and from then on on the other nights and yeah that but that moment in particular it did feel literally like every soul in Australia was watching um but in the moment I think you we have the gravity of the situation in in a football mindset so it probably feels different for us obviously than it feels for people watching but um it's funny most of us would probably say when we're taking a penalty we're thinking about our families and the hell it's putting them through most of the time. So there's a lot going on, but um, the gravity of it is definitely huge. Okay, so we get to the 12th of August, a quarterfinal versus France, who'd had two wins and a draw, and they smacked Morocco 4-0 in the round of 16s. 50,000 at Suncorp. Now they're saying between 6 and 7 million people. This, I'll hold this up to you. This is each penalty. I've written each one down. Oh. I've written where they've gone. Don't what do they've it done. to me again. Like, fair income. I was nervous watching it. So the the first thing that blew me away, so it's a zip-zip, right? Like, take me into the group. What does Tony say to the group after uh, extra time, et cetera, and it's like, like, like – I think the country fell in love with your man Tony, but we we don't. He's a bit of a mysterious figure. I fell in love with the French coach as well. Looking back, a very smooth looking <laughs> bloke, Steph, the French coach. Like, what does Tony say to the group at this point before you you step out there to take penalties? I think he basically was he was very calm. We'd gone through the scenario of penalties right. a million times. We'd done them every day at training. We'd done them properly. We'd walk through them. He just said, you guys are ready. Every single one of you knows exactly where you want to put that ball. You're, we're confident. You know you can do it. It's your routine. Believe you're going to score. Um, and that that was it. He reminded us about so our families. I think he pointed to our families. We all had a look. And it was just like a connection between that and what we were about to do. And then that was it. We went off and... <laughs> well, so my man, the French coach, I, I this I found this extraordinary that the goalie, the goalkeeper who was unbelievable, was subbed out, and then Celine Duran came on. I, I remember at the time thinking this is one of the most courageous sporting decisions I've ever seen a coach make. So your main goalie out, your sub goalie who's obviously gun in the penalty area comes like that's a that's a ballsy move. You'd be surprised with. With penalties, a lot of coaches really? have a, a specialty goalkeeper. Like Andrew, remember Andrew Redmayne? Yes. Matt Ryan gets the hook and in it goes Andrew yeah, Redmayne. True. Like it happens a fair bit because they, there's usually a keeper that, like, say this keeper 
is really good at saving penalties, but she's been told this is your one job on this trip. She's she's oh. studying players. She's, like, ready. That's probably the main sort of advantage. But you'd be surprised. It does happen a fair bit. We stick with Arnold. So, yeah, first penalty. God. There's 20 of these. So, we, well, this no. first one, Arnold saves it. Almost the entire stadium against Basher here. And then Caitlin Ford scores. 1-0 Australia. This to put the Matildas one up. Yes. Then France score. So it's one all. And then fourth penalty, Steph Catley steps up. <laughs> oh, don't. You go the same way again. So it's your third penalty of the World Cup. I'm an expert in your penalties now because I've been watching these. And I obviously can't remember. I go to watch it and I'm thinking, wow, she's gone top left twice. What's she going to do here? Because right. I couldn't remember. Yeah. And you went. In that same area again, and it was saved. Already scored from the spot in this competition. Oh, brilliant save from Durant. The thing about this show, Steph, is for every up, there's a down in an athlete. What happens in a game of this significance, it's not an easy question to ask, but what happens in a game of this significance when you don't score a penalty? Yeah, it's um it's an interesting one because I'm very much aware of sort of the way that football works and with playing a team sport is that often when one of your teammates falls or can't do something, the others are there to lift you up. And yes. I think I had gone into most penalty shootouts remembering that, so not putting too much pressure on myself that if I missed... It would be the end of the world. It would be diabolical. I was on my own. At no point did I feel like that. But I had had a lot of thought about if it went to penalties and I had a lot of discussions with my goalkeeper coach, that Tony, that at the Matildas, I was saying, you know, I, I, want to, I think I want to change. Like, they obviously know I like going there. So it, there was all these discussions and lots of thought in my head. Ah. And the day, I think it was the day of the game, I had another sort of chat with him and he was like, when you hit that spot, no one's saving it. You just have to hit it right. And then I was like, okay, you know what? They might, they're probably expecting me to change. Like, this is the kind of things that go through your head. Like, it's well, really... Yeah, it's like bluff, double bluff, triple it, exactly. bluff. Like it's, it's so yeah. tough. Um, so, yeah, going into the game, I thought, you know what? If I hit my spot, they could expect me to go the other way, but if I hit it, it's going to go in. And I think what you don't really take into consideration is how tired you are after extra yeah. time, your body. Obviously, I didn't hit it exactly how I would have wanted to hit it. Maybe if she'd gone the other way and not known that that's where I like to go, it would have gone in. But that didn't happen um, and she saved it. And, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to remember exactly how I felt in that moment. I think... I was then so focused on us just getting through and winning and the rest of what was going on and just feeling like my team were going to get us through it, even though I had missed, even though, you know, I think we, Claire might have missed and Maka saved something, the recall penalty. There's so much that you've got listed there. I'm sorry. I've stolen your thunder. Yeah, no, no, that's what, no, no, on that. So when, when you walk back, you know, you see those iconic shots of teams lined up. We saw it back in 05 against Uruguay, and we saw it again here. Do, do, do teammates in that situation, do they say a oh, hard luck, Steph, or do they just give you a smile or do they avoid your eye <laughs> or is it such a blur that, like, I was thinking this when I watched it back. I've watched it back too many times to, to chat with you about it, but but how does a teammate react? Um, I, honestly, I can't remember words, but we had a structure and a policy that every penalty one of us would go and collect the person to bring them back to the group. So I think okay. I, it's, it's such a blur. I can't even remember who came and got me. I think it might have been Ellie. And then it was that. It was just like, we're good, it's fine, back in, back in the huddle, on to the next moment. Like that's kind of how a penalty shootout works. It's just one thing after. It's quick and it although this didn't feel that quick. <laughs> it felt like the longest oh. however many minutes of my life. But, yeah, I remember being collected, being taken back into the group, and it wasn't like avoid eye contact or anything like that. It was just like on to the next we go. The list continues here, <laughs> Steph Catley. Okay. Righto. 
So then France score. France are 2-1 up. Then Kerr scores 2-all. No problem for Sam Kerr. France scores 3-2 France. Fowler scores 3-all. Fowler against Durant. You don't save those. 3-3. Now it's sudden death. This is, this is getting serious now. So it gets to sudden death. France hits the left upright after Mackenzie Arnold gets a touch on it. And she missed! And then Mackenzie Arnold steps up (laughs) as the goalkeeper to win it. And she hits the right upright and it's three all. Like, you've got your hands over your face now. Like, how are you riding these? So that was our first chance to win it. If she scores, they're into a semi-final. As it rattles the post. Like, how are you? Like, how are you riding these emotions? Yeah, it's funny. Um, I think Sam had counted because we knew Maka would be taking number five, um, and Sam had actually counted forward. Don't know how she managed to do that in the moment because it was like so fast and so much going. But she had, and she was like. Imagine Maka hits the winning penalty now, like after oh. she's just done all of this. And she said it out loud and it was kind of like, oh, my God, like that would be like a fairy tale. <laughs> like it would just be perfect. And, yeah, obviously he steps off and whacks the woodwork. So then France scores the 11th, so they're up 4-3. So now it's on the other. Now Gori has to score, mm-hmm. otherwise you're out. Mm-hmm. She scores for all. Moscow. Oh, and it just crept in. She does the baby signal. <laughs> yeah. And, like, that got me. That, that oh, really got it? me. Yeah, it did. Yeah. It's getting serious now. So then France score 5-4. Yallop has to score. So, again, another chance for France to win. She scores. Cool as 5-all. France scores 6-5. Carpenter, one of my favourites, has to score Sneaks it in off the post. <laughs> now, it's six all at this stage. So now you're going deep into a penalty-taking roster with athletes that I'm sure didn't think they were going to be having to take penalties because it, it, it's it's going deep now, Steph. Yeah, 100%. That is definitely something you think about. And I was actually in that moment thinking, is this going to come around again? Like, do we? <laughs> and then my brain's <laughs> going, that. what way do I go now? <laughs> like, what way am I going to keep them all? But... Yeah, you definitely get to. I was looking down the line and I was thinking, like, these girls had no chance had in their head they're going to be taking a penalty today. But every single one of them was more than prepared. I was, there was not one person that stepped up that I was like, oh my God, I can't believe they're taking a penalty. (laughs) Everyone was more than prepared. And yeah, genuinely, I felt like everyone was capable and going to score when they went up there. So the 17th penalty. Darley misses, but then they say Mackenzie Arnold is off her line. That was how many penalties in? So that was the 17th penalty oh at 6 all. Oh, the pain. So then, like, we're, we're on the lounge room here with my kids, my wife and my in-laws, no idea about penalty etiquette, but abusing the referee, saying, what, she didn't move? Like, <laughs> having no idea of the understanding of what we're seeing. Mm. And then, but she saves it again. Right. So she saves again there. So then Claire Hunt, who is the most inexperienced player on the team, steps up to win it and it's this like as good as Mackenzie Arnold was, your girl Duran got got diving one-hander. No! Saved by Duran! I simply do not believe that! Like... Big save. That, that's a save and a half. If if France had won, that save goes down in the history of their sport as one of the iconic moments in the history of French football. Yeah, agreed. Uh, 19th, Besho from France hits the left post, six all. So now this is the third chance the Matildas have got to win it. <laughs> tell me about the 21-year-old Courtney Vine from Shepparton. Before you tell me about what she did, tell me about this athlete that has that is now alongside 
Aloisi for the most famous penalty in the history of football in this country over however many years? Yeah, I. she was probably one of the most the players that I was most unsure about in terms of taking a penalty because I hadn't seen her. I'd watched, I feel like I'd watched everyone take heaps and heaps of penalties, but I maybe hadn't seen Viney take that many. So most most of the girls that went up, I knew where they were probably going to go or what kind of penalty they were going to take. But Viney, I sort of had no idea. And I kind of think that's that was for the best because I was freaking out and just a bundle of nerves. And she just seemed chill. She seemed good took a breath and yeah it, it's incredible it's incredible what people are capable of I think in that moment yeah. she's you know she's new pretty much to international football there's no chance she's been in a moment that big or even comes close to being that big in her life and she just gets up there buries it and yeah the rest is history such a proud moment for her and her family and all of us Obviously, knowing her as well. Um, yeah, incredible. 21 year old Courtney Vine at her first World Cup can write the Matildas into history. Cue the party! I'm sure it's a blur, but. What's the what's the first thing you can remember? Was it on the ground? Was it back in the rooms? Was it celebrating with the crowd? Like you, you, you should go back and look at this some stage. Probably when your career's finished, I understand that. I've taken you through it blow by blow. But the pictures are like there's little girls crying with their mums in the grandstands. There's, there's, you know, people can't watch. It is everything we love about sport in that moment. Yeah. Um, the first thing I remember is obviously celebrating with Viney, jumping up and down, screaming, celebrating with Maka. And then I remember just like collapsing to the ground because I was exhausted, but then I was like overcome with emotion. I think the holding on to the fact that I missed, uh, that there was the potential that I'd let the team down, that we'd gotten through, then it was the realisation of we've just made history. Like this is the biggest moment in our team's history, you know, a massive moment in Australian history the gravity of it just kind of overwhelmed me. And I, I had, I, I don't, I'm not a crier. I don't cry a lot. And I just I had tears coming down my eyes. And there was a couple of girls uh, like above me, just like grabbing me and then like pulling me up. But um, yeah, that's probably the first thing I remember. And then also looking over to my family and seeing my brother. And cause I was like crying overwhelmed. He, I think he thought I was like really punishing myself for missing the penalty. Cause that's what I'm like. I'm very hard on myself. And he was going, <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. And I was like, I know, <laughs> like, I, like, I know it's okay. But it was a, a roller coaster. It was all too much, really, for you guys watching, for us. It was a lot, but we came out on the good side of it. Was that your brother that you played football with? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Back to Steph in a moment. I was actually thinking about this the other day. I reckon over 200 episodes, the most incredible story that I've heard told on this show is that of the man they call Skippy, Craig Johnson. Craig was a kid that left home with nothing, like nothing. He went to England, got told he wasn't good enough time and time again. He was laughed at, he was ridiculed, he was ignored, but eventually Craig became a star and a much-loved figure in the history of the Liverpool Football Club. Craig featured back on episode 121. Have a listen if you've got some time and you missed it because I guarantee you, you'll shake your head. So anyway, a couple of times I walked past, again with my Middlesbrough uh, jumper on, a tracksuit top, and they'd say, oh, look, he's from the Borough, he's from the Borough. Hey, mister, mister, come and play with us. And, and they said, do you play in the youth team? And I said, no, 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 I'm, I'm the cleaner, you know. And they said, well, come and play with us anyway. <laughs> so I did. This, this is the first couple of weeks, two or three weeks I'm there. Anyway, these, these little guys just were so good, they completely took the, the mickey out of me. They nutmeg me, right, backwards, forwards. They laughed and laughed and laughed. And they called me Skippy the Bush Kangaroo, and that's where the name came from. They'd, they'd all seen it on the television. So anyway, they'd laugh and laugh and laugh. So on my way home, that's who I'd play with. 
And that's where I, uh, and, and again, these kids were good and it was tough and they didn't take any prisoners, but that's when I, I, I learned, you know, how to use the elbow, you know, how to, how to set yourself up in a game situation. That was Craig Johnson back on episode 121 of the show. Let's get back to Steph. So, no Australian national teams ever made a semi-final. England's won all three of their qualifiers. They got through Nigeria on penalties. They got through Colombia 2-1. The 16th of August, 75,784, 11.5 million peak. Um, England win 3-1. So I asked you at the start whether you can win without winning, and I guess we've come the full circle there. To me, 11.5 million peak. I remember them talking about at the time, Steph, that 8 million watched Cathy Freeman. Yeah. Um, and you, you're of an age generation where you can think back to the size of that event. Yeah. Were you outplayed on the day? Are they a better team? Can you remove it from yourself? Did you not play to your standard? What? What? If I'm saying to you, okay, what's your thoughts on the England game? What do you tell me? Um, I would say that it's probably a mix of a lot of those things. I think, you know, it's a it's a very long tournament and I think yeah. we had, just as they would have as well, you have tired bodies that are running on adrenaline and dreams and all sorts of things. And, yeah, it was a game that I think the first goal sort of shocked us a bit because I think we were defending quite well and everything felt as it normally would and we were controlled. They had a lot of the ball, similar probably to the Canada game. I felt like we were getting mm. – we were in good positions and we had made a couple of chances and I felt good about the way we were playing and then they scored and that was a little bit of a shock. Um, it was from nowhere. It yeah, was. Just watching it back, it was from nowhere. It was like, oh. Yeah, exactly. That was sort of the feeling. I, I watched it go in and I was like, oh, okay, random, but it <laughs> still felt yeah. pretty good. Um, and then, yeah, after the – when we came out in the second half, I remember there was a 15 to 20-minute period where we were all over them and I felt like we're good. We're getting back in this. We were creating – all this momentum and it just felt like we were back to what we'd been doing the entire tournament and that was, you know, proving people wrong, coming back, um, achieving what we didn't think was possible. Um, Obviously with Sam's goal as well, that was just like the cherry on top of what we were sort of already feeling. And here's Sam Kerr. She's going to need some support. Kerr running at bright. Kerr with a shot. Oh, I say that's incredible! seemed like that was a really historic moment this is a this has just popped into my head but a similar feeling was for me when this is a St Kilda reference but grand final when huh. Brendan Goddard took that massive screaming in the yeah, goal square I was thinking yeah we're good you're home we're home well, yeah, right. this is different I wasn't thinking we're home but when Sam scored that goal there was that same yes this is happening we're good um and then yeah wasn't to be. There was a goal that came again that was that felt quite random. They had had a couple of chances, but we were right in it. And they're a good team, but I didn't feel like they were that much better than us. And it was just a whitewash. And it was it wasn't. It wasn't. It was a a goal that was avoidable in so many different circumstances. And yeah, maybe that comes down to tired bodies. Maybe that comes down to one or two other things, but. Um, then once once that goes in, you're frantically trying to get back in the game, you're spread, you're trying different things, you're taking risks, and then that's where sometimes when you're taking risks to try and square up the game, you're open to another goal. And, yeah, another goal goes in and then the dream sort of slips away quite quickly. And what is that realisation like when it hits Steph after the most intense month period of enormous highs and lows after Nigeria and everything going on with injury and, like, can you even process what you've been part of as, as, you, as you're talking to the coach and the players afterwards and you're, you're being loved by your families? Yeah. It, 
I think it's a bit of a it's a strange one because when you get to the that final stage of a tournament, you get knocked out, but then you've got another game afterwards. So yeah, it was like there was no time to to feel sorry for ourselves and coaches quickly get you back into that mindset. So I think a few of us probably collapsed to the ground and were devastated that tournament's over. We're not going to achieve what we set out to achieve and just devastation. But then you've got a coach running up to you going, next game, next game, you know, we've still got something to achieve. And that comes into it straight away. And then you think, you know, as a leader, okay, get everyone up. We're, we've still got another game. We're not leaving empty-handed. The, all those messages start coming out pretty much straight away. So there's no not a lot of time to really go through many emotions and anything before you get to that next stage. I, I mentioned to you that, that England game that 11.5 million people watched it. I was like half the country. To be honest, I don't know what the other half of the country were doing. <laughs> um, it's it, We've gone... A full circle, haven't we, from you not having a female football to look up to to playing in front of an audience of the biggest television audience in the history of Australia. It's it's remarkable where you started as a six-year-old to a, a late 20-year-old in many ways, isn't it? And credit to everyone that was part of that journey. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's it's funny, like I said, I it's been such a whirlwind and professional football just kind of rolls on like it does. So I haven't really had such a good opportunity to reflect on all of that and where I am now and, and the whole journey, I suppose, all at the same time. So it's been really kind of wonderful to just like put it out there and look at it step by step and really feel the progress and feel how far I am now and women's football is at now and the world really where we're at now is such a better place from where we started. And, um, yeah, for my team to be experiencing that now while I'm still at a time in my career where I can contribute and be part of it, um, yeah, it's really a dream come true. And thinking back to the little girl that was just working and playing because I absolutely loved it, it's... um, yeah, more than I could ever have imagined back then. And those moments when, like I've told you, you, you will have heard, I remember talking to John Bertrand about this and, you know, what he achieved in 1983 in the America's Cup, that's, that's 40 years ago. So he's had 40 years, Steph, of people coming up and saying, I was doing this or I was watching here or I was with my grandpa who got me into sailing. Like what are those stories like that are filtering to you and how does it make you feel when people come up and say, you know what, Steph, I was having dinner with my brother-in-law and his wife and the kids on the couch or whatever it may be. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. I think um, I was sort of whisked away from Australia so quickly after the tournament. Yeah. Um, I didn't get as much of that as you'd probably expect, but I, when I came out of the tournament I had about um, eight days, I think, before I needed to go back to the UK because we had some Champions League qualifiers. And for about four or five of them, I was just huddled up at my brother's place, um, just spending time with family and just recovering from all of the emotional stress, the physical stress, all of it. I was just recovering and doing nothing. And then I remember I'd organised coffee with... Um, two of my oldest best friends, uh, Rebecca Stott, who plays for New Zealand, and Bree Davey, who is an AFLW legend. Yes. <laughs> so I'd organised coffee with them and that was sort of the first time I was stepping out and just like living my normal Melbourne life. And we were at a cafe and I got approached, I think, four or five times just in that coffee alone. I had cars beeping at me as cyclists coming past going, go the Tillies, yes, <laughs> Like it was just mayhem. It was mayhem and I was just sat there having a coffee. Like I've I've never experienced anything like it um, in my entire life. And some of the stories were, were very special. I had a flight attendant when I was going back to London, um, a Qantas flight attendant who... She she started crying and just saying it had the biggest impact on her daughter's life and um, the way that she felt growing up. She used to play sport and 
how different it is for her daughter and she was just saying thank you and, yeah, crying and it was just, yeah, very, very special, definitely. You're getting me now. I, I never cried until I had <laughs> kids and if, if, if you go down that path one day, trust me, Steph, you start crying and you can't stop. So um, you, you're getting me, as my kids would say, you're getting me in the feels with that story. <laughs> we always finish this the same way, Steph. Um Talking about kids, we've got a lot of kids that listen. I told you that at the start. And whether they're on the way to football training or cricket training or the science fair or want to become a plumber or an architect or whatever it may be, you've achieved and are still achieving tremendous success in your field. What advice would you give to those out there that are hoping to achieve something in their world? Just remember that what they bring to every situation is completely unique to them. No one else in the world can bring what they bring uniquely and if they work hard if they believe in themselves if they're a good person and they care enough about what they're doing then they can achieve anything and they'll do it in their way it's it's a great answer this is a great podcast we um as you would know um we made contact with ffa um and anna a fair few months ago and you had a lot on and you immediately said yeah i'm happy to do it but i've got a lot on and we've and i said to tommy who produces this show if we could manage to snag Steph to be the 200th episode and talk about what her and her team have achieved, I think that would could not be a more fitting episode of the show and you've provided, you've sat through with a true nuffy as I've gone through every penalty, every moment. <laughs> um, people will love listening, but congratulations to everything you and your team have achieved and I think it's only, you know, it's only part of the journey on the way. I'm sure there's a lot more success. So good luck with all your football in England and with the Matildas. And this is a bloody good episode and I'm <laughs> pumped you've joined us for it, Steph. It's very cool. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me and taking me through all of that. I feel like I needed yeah. that reflection. It's felt good. <laughs> <laughs> Steph Catley, star. What else can I say? Star, star, star. I love how Steph took herself back to those World Cup moments. I hope you enjoyed the journey looking back through that amazing tournament with her as much as I enjoyed hearing her stories. And it gave you a lift as it did me. Thanks to Steph and again to Anne Odong for making this happen. That's it. That is it for episode 200. But next week we roll on again. 201. Doesn't stop with the entertainer. (laughs) That is Ravi Shastri, the big man. Peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. If we try, try, try.